continue in worship with a reading in the Gospel of John. Nope. Luke. <laughs> Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we thank you. You all want to sit down so bad. Just sit down. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for how close you are to us. For how much you see us and love us. that our attitudes are not a problem for you, that you long to come close, it's who you are. And so we tell you, Lord, we need you. We need you to come close. We need you to be exactly who you are. So we ask you, Lord, to come close this morning. Spirit, would you give us hearts to sense Jesus today? To sense his closeness, his love, his attentiveness to us. Would you give us just the gift of Jesus this morning? And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I guess Matthew lets y'all sit? Yeah? Okay. Because it happens every week. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, good morning. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's so good to be with you. I'm really excited about today's text, as I am every week, but nonetheless, today is as well. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke a lot this year. Um, as we're following the liturgical calendar, that means we're just going to be reading a lot of the Gospel of Luke, um, kind of in and out of that book. And um, we've invited you to kind of step into reading this book with us. A couple weeks ago, I did uh, a sermon kind of outlining what it looks like to be in this book, how it's different from other gospels, and would love for you to go back and listen to that if you want to know more of that information. Um, and also, a way for you to engage with us in the study of this book this year is Matthew and I, this season of Epiphany that we're in right now, we're doing a Luke podcast. It's very short. It's not like those hour and 15 minute long ones where you're like, okay, what's the point though? Um, we are going to be talking about the four... Uh, uh, 
things that I talked about two weeks ago that outline kind of the gospel of Luke and what's important for Luke. That being, uh, Jesus is our telos. What does that mean? Um, talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about what it means that Jesus came for the marginalized, and finally, what it means that we are living in the year of Jubilee. So if you want to engage with us in that way in studying this book, you can listen to that podcast uh, that we'll be putting out. It'll come out every week for the next four weeks. We made these four neighborhood groups as a way for them to not just take what's in the content from Sunday morning sermons and, and talk about that at their neighborhood groups during the week, but it was a way to kind of dig a little bit deeper and do some kind of study and work together in the gospel. So if you want to do that, you can find that sort of study at our website, but you can also do this just if you're not in a neighborhood group. You can do it with your friends, your family, your roommates, whatever, or you can just do it on your own. So if you'd like to study this gospel with us, this is going to be a great way to do this in this season. One of the things we learned about Luke a couple weeks ago is that Luke is a master storyteller, and this story is no exception. And I'll be referring, um, you won't know because I, I won't be saying it explicitly, but I'm referring a lot to a really amazing book that you should get if you're interested in this gospel. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. So if you've ever been like, I'd love to read a commentary, but most, most things I read that are about the Bible are very academic and I don't understand them. I'm here with you. This book is great though. Um, it kind of takes you back into some of the things that are going on in the ancient world. So in this text too, we'll go through some of those things of what it looked like to fish on the sea and things like that. So it's a great book. I submit it to you to get if you're interested. Um, so he helps us in the story of that Luke is telling us this morning. Another thing we learned about Luke and his gospel is that he loves to talk about the Holy Spirit. He loves to show how he experienced Jesus constantly leaning into the Spirit, praying to the Spirit, talking about the Spirit, um, being guided by the Spirit. In another gospel, we learn that another term for the, the Holy Spirit is the advocate or the one who comes alongside and we see that Jesus really experiences the Holy Spirit as the companion, as someone who's constantly walking alongside him, who's the constant energy underneath all of which Jesus is, in, is here to do on earth, um, that he feels that companionship of the Spirit. He's never hopeless. He's never lost. Um, he's never without hope. And that's because of his relationship with the Spirit. And the thing that I love about Jesus is that he is the ultimate, you know, the one who practices what he preaches. So not only does Jesus have this relationship with the Spirit, but Jesus is this way himself. He comes to earth as, in solidarity with us as our companion, as our advocate, the Bible says. So Jesus not only experiences the Spirit this way, but he comes to those who have no hope, no one advocating for them, no one kind of on the inside of their situation, and he comes very, very close to those people and speaks words of healing. He touches them. Um, he tells them that they're going to be the ones who inherit eternal life, those kinds of things. So what's beautiful about Jesus is that he takes what he knows um, from his life of prayer, from his life spent deeply in the spirit, and he then lives that out with people here on earth. And we are seeing that in this story today. He's the one who comes alongside Peter. So this story we're looking at is uh, the story of the call of Jesus' first disciples, mainly this guy named Peter. So if you don't know, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was like a traveling teacher, preacher guy. And rabbis always had disciples. And this was because it gave people to support their ministry, but it also was people who were going to carry on their legacy. If what he had to say was really important and really good and true, then there was going to need to be people who could carry on the words that this rabbi was saying 
to the world after he was dead and gone, which we see exactly is what happened with um, Peter and his Jesus' disciples. Uh, so this guy, Peter, though, we call, we call him Simon in this text, but um, uh, the, he also has another name, which is Peter, so that's what I'm going to refer to him as. He's sort of the head disciple, and we see him kind of stepping out or being called forth by Jesus a lot in this, this and other Gospels. He was the oldest, likely, of all of the disciples. He's probably around like 20, 21, 22. We also know that he was married, and he was probably the only disciple who was married. So he's a little bit, a little bit different from the rest of these disciples. The little bit of extra information that we get from this text, which makes me love Peter even more, is that I think he was kind of a cynical guy. He had a little bit of a bad attitude and was sarcastic. And we're going to look at a, a little bit of why I think that in a second. But Peter's just a fisherman. He's a working class guy. Like he's just here to try and feed his family and do his job. And then Jesus comes along and something in him shifts. He's transformed forever. So let's go ahead and, and do the work with Luke of kind of looking into this story. So it's morning. And Jesus is standing by the shore, and he's ministering to the crowds, probably doing what Jesus does, you know, healing them and saying wonderful things. And the crowd's getting bigger and bigger, as you would imagine. And so Jesus, they want him to teach them something. And Jesus wants to do that, um, but he doesn't have a megaphone. He doesn't have a microphone like we do. So he has to figure out a way to get all of these people who are amassing to, to hear him. So he wants to go out on the lake, which if you don't know, water kind of works as like an, an amplifier, like an amphitheater. If Teachers used to do this all the time back in the day. Uh, they would go out on the water because water would carry their voice to whoever was listening. If you've ever like been on a lake and like yelled to a friend across the lake, you can mysteriously hear them a little bit better than if you were like on land somewhere. So that's what Jesus is doing here. That's why he's saying we need to get out on the boat so these people can hear me. So he goes over to these guys who are on the shore and cleaning their nets, which means they had been out all night fishing, and they were just coming back in, and they had caught nothing. So you can imagine, they're probably not feeling great, you know? Not just tired from a long night of work, but also pretty frustrated, maybe a little scared, because this was their livelihood, this is how they fed their families, um, how they took care of themselves, and the ones that they love. So um, they're probably pretty irritated, and Jesus comes over, and he needs one of their boats. And um, something that's interesting in this story is if you don't know, a couple chapters, or not chapters, a couple of verses before this, Jesus and Peter have already had a miraculous encounter. Does anybody know what that was? Teacher hat. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So Jesus had already gone to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law was sick, and she was healed. So Peter's already had this encounter with Jesus, so he already knows who he is. He knows what he's about. And Jesus asked him if he can use his boat. And in ancient times, you, if you owed someone a favor, you owed someone a favor, and you were going to do whatever they asked of you. So when Jesus come over and asks for a favor, Peter, of course, is like, sure, let's do it. So when Jesus is done teaching However, annoyingly, he tells Peter then to go even further out into the water. And I'm sure Peter is like, what? Why? <laughs> Can I just go home and take a nap, you know? Jesus tells him to go out and further into the water, and he does. And Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter says, you know, master, I've already been fishing all night. 
And I've caught nothing, but I guess if you want me to, I'll do it. So what's helpful to know is this, this word master that's here is actually, you know, we think master and we're like, that sounds very reverent. What it actually is, the wording is kind of more like boss, you know? So if you were, if someone were to tell you to do something and you were to be like, you know what, boss, <laughs> I've already been out here fishing. It's not like a sign of reverence as much as it is a sign of, you know, annoyance. And so Peter says this to Jesus, like, I've already been doing this, dude. Um, There's also something to say for the fact that Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. That had been his trade of his life up to this point. And so it would be annoying for someone who knows the sea, who knows the waters like Peter does. It's his life's work. It's his family's life's work for a carpenter from the land to come in and say, just drop him over there. I'm sure Peter was like, I've done, I've done all that I know to do tonight, you know? The sea, the way that it was, was the fishing could change hour by hour, sometimes even square foot by square foot. So you really have to know the waters. You have to know this thing. And, so Pete, and Peter did, and still there was nothing to catch that night. But anyways, Jesus tells him to put his nets into the water. And of course, as we all know, they get an absurd amount of fish. This you know, big catch for a lot of us probably doesn't feel that significant, but what it would have been like is if Jesus had come up to you and said, I want you to play the lottery, and you were like, whatever, I guess I will, and you played it, and you won. That's what this would have been like. Like, that's how big this catch was for someone in the ancient world. So that happens, and Peter's astounded, and he has this reaction where he realizes his own sinfulness, and looks at Jesus and doesn't want to be close to him anymore because he's, he realizes how amazing and holy and wonderful Jesus is. And he falls on his knees and he says, go away from me. And Jesus extends to him then peace. When someone says, someone holy especially, says, don't be afraid. It happens a lot in the Bible. It's a way for someone who is uh, divine to speak God's peace to someone. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he tells him that strange thing. From now on, you will be catching people. And they bring their boats to shore, and they leave it all behind to follow Jesus. So a couple things that I want to say about this. Isn't it a good story? It's a great story already. I could say, amen, please stand, and that's it. But I want to say a couple things about it before before we close. I think Jesus knew all about Peter's frustration and his cynicism and probably how annoyed he was. Whenever I encounter someone who's annoyed with me, the first thing I want to do is close down the conversation and go away as fast as possible. But Jesus didn't feel that way. He believed in Peter the whole time they were having this encounter. And what he wanted to do is be close to him, to show him what he had for Peter. Jesus comes alongside Peter in every moment in this story. We're seeing Jesus as this, the one who comes alongside, the advocate in the story with Peter. He doesn't just expect Peter to follow him without meeting him exactly where he is. Jesus speaks Peter's language. For so many of us who grew up in the church and so many of us who didn't, we have this sort of view of the person of Jesus as maybe the worst Christian we've ever met. (laughs) I think sometimes that's the paradigm of whoever that was. That must be what Jesus is like because he was also super religious. Um, So we have this vision of Jesus where he's, he's not tender or kind or friendly, that he's more judgy, um, or maybe he speaks in a way that, that you can't understand. Maybe he's too smart for you, or maybe he's too serious for you. Um, maybe he's too harsh for you. And I love this story because Jesus is actually not that way at all. 
He's incredibly kind and tender and friendly and I think has a good sense of humor, which we also see in this story. He wants to come into your boat, is what this story is telling us. He was willing to get that close to Peter. And I'm sure this whole scene took a long time, you know? He could have just said, hey, it's in your best interest that you follow me now. I'm a rabbi. I'm your authority. You should do it anyways. Or he could have asked him, you know, a little nicer. But instead, what Jesus does is he comes close in a way that changes Peter. Jesus is all the best metaphors and better than that. He's the brother that you always wanted, and he's the very best friend. He's the father that you needed. His very first and last thoughts of you are love, and every single one of his intentions towards you is for your good. He is for you. He wants to follow you out into the water and tell you these things in your language, the way that he loves you and what he sees in you. That is who Jesus is. So Peter left this moment feeling utterly seen by Jesus. I think it's really funny and fascinating that Jesus had already seen this miracle with his mother-in-law, and that really didn't do it for him. <laughs> like, I don't know if he didn't like his mother-in-law, maybe. I don't want to put that on Peter, but, like, maybe he didn't care that much. But, like, something about that just didn't speak his language in the way this catch of fish did. They were both miracles, but one spoke to him, and Jesus knew. Jesus knew just how to get to him and love him. And that's what he did in this story. So Jesus sees Peter, and Peter feels seen. Um, and then a strange thing hap happens next, which I think happens to a lot of us when we actually feel very seen, is that Peter, when he's confronted with the person of Jesus, senses and sees his own sinfulness. In that book I mentioned, um, Kenneth Bailey says, Peter is confronted by a man who wins the fishing lottery, but doesn't want it or need it. He's confronted with a value system and a set of commitments radically different from his own. Peter feels so seen and known that he feels exposed and vulnerable. Like, what else might this guy be seeing? What else could this guy know? Here's my story about this. Um, it's not good, but not a good uh, example, but it's close. So in college, I was um, friends with a guy named Gabe, who's now my husband, but this was long before that. And he so kindly one day, well, he wanted to borrow my car one Sunday. So I let him and he was gone for hours and he was supposed to just go to church and come back. And I knew something weird was going on. In my heart, I was like, he's taking, he's driving other girls around, and it hurt me because I liked him, and that was my fear. Anyway, so I eventually called him ready to chew him out and be like, where is my car? And it turned out he, in all of his kindness, as my friend and another mutual friend of ours, had driven it out to his parents' house to clean it, like totally inside and out, to rotate the tires and uh, put new rotors on it. And we were both poor, so like that's really nice when someone does that when, when you don't have any money. And my first feeling was like shock and gratefulness. And then my second feeling was, dear God, what did they find? <laughs> I've already confirmed in the last service that French fries was one of them. Um, but like, I don't know, so much spilled coffee. I mean, like that's just... 
that's your car is your car, you know? It's like where, where you live the worst version of your life. And I was horrified. And so that's, that's my version of this. Obviously, Peter's is much more spiritual. But that feeling that you get of like total exposure and, and feeling so loved that you feel horrified, um, that was the feeling that I had. And I think that's the feeling that Peter had. Peter falls on his knees and he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man. Peter sees his own cynicism, his sarcasm, the very worst of himself, his unbelief, his unwillingness to do what Jesus wanted him to do, maybe even his materialism and how important this catch was for him and how sad he was about not catching anything. And he sees the sin in his own heart. He realizes he doesn't, have, he doesn't deserve to be in the boat with this man. There's a verse in 1 John It says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The really good news for Peter and for us is that Christ the advocate is an advocate for sinners. He does not come for the best of us. He comes for the worst of us and advocates for us with the Father. That's just who he is. It's what he came to do. So when he sees Peter and all of this terribleness, he, he knows all these things about Peter. Peter's just now realizing them about himself is what's happening. Jesus knew it all along. And what Jesus then is able to offer him is peace. One of the things I love about this story is that um, Jesus, you know, Peter's cornered, basically. They're out in deep waters. He realizes his sinfulness, and he says, go away from me. Like, where is he going to go? <laughs> He's trapped but in a really good way, you know, like trapped by the love and peace of God, trapped in such a way that Jesus gets to say to him, peace to you. And not just peace, but I have something really good to give you. Now you're going to catch people. So Jesus then, lastly, dignifies Peter and offers him new life. We have this famous line, you know, this strange line. You'll now be catching people. And what's really interesting about this is in the Greek, this word of you were once catching fish. So when, when you say catching fish, it's catching and killing. And this word he uses for catching people now is catching alive. So what Jesus is literally saying to him is you were once catching and killing, and now you will be catching and bringing things to life bringing life into the world. Jesus wants to take what is essentially Peter, what's the most Peter thing about him, what he's really good at, and he wants to make it even better. He wants to make it a more precise thing. He wants to use it to bring life into the world, to magnify what it is that Peter is all about. He doesn't call him into a totally different way of existing. There's continuity for Peter between his past and his future, which is very generous of God. We could come to find that we are sinners and want to be changed by Jesus and then realize we have to utterly change everything about ourselves, and that is not true. The Creator made us in a way that, that He loves, and what Jesus' job and the job of the Holy Spirit is is to then call out those things in us so that we can grow in them and so that they can bring life to the world. I think it's also important to say here that Jesus loves your work. Jesus really dignifies work in this text. He loves what you're good at. He didn't humiliate P Peter for not catching fish. 
He wanted to make him even better at it. He showed him through a real-life example what his gifts could be like in the hands of Jesus. And I think, friends, there are gifts in some of us that ought to be used for catching alive, and maybe we're using them for catching and killing. An example of this in my own life is that I am weirdly discerning, in particular when it comes to sin, which is a rather horrible thing to give to be given. I've learned through my life. As you can imagine, I was a tattletale. I was a pretty terrible child in that way. No one wanted to be my friend. I'm just kidding. I have friends. But that gift can really not be used for good, as you can imagine. And what I learned over years was how to use that gift in a way that was, that was at my worst, shamed people. Um, all the time was judgmental. And I remember, it was not a specific moment because it's never a specific moment with this kind of thing, but it became a process for me for Jesus to say, hey, you are using that gift I gave you for catching and killing. You are bringing death to the world around you. When I created you to use this gift to bring life to the world around you, start using your imagination for how you could bring life to people through this thing. And thank God that he did. Because now what I can do is I can use that gift to have honest and helpful conversations with people, to say what needs to be said, to have truthful conversations, or even just to love someone through that. What a gift it is to love someone despite their sinfulness. That's what it is to be a Christian. And that's what God's calling out of me and calling out of you. And so I don't know what it is for you, what that thing is, but I think there are, for some of us, God wants to put his finger on some of the gifts that we are using to catch and kill that he would use to catch and make alive. Your vocation, your gifts, who you are at your core was made to give life to the world. And that's the kind of person Jesus wants to transform you into if you want to follow him. A friend of mine, you know, kind of sign of the times, keeps saying, um, I don't know how much longer I can be the worst version of myself. <laughs> Anybody else feel that way? It's like, it feels like th these are not the times for flourishing. These are, these are the times for surviving, you know, and she kind of encapsulates that feeling and what she says. And, um, and so the good news I want to give you this morning, if you feel like a failure, um, Peter's here to, to speak to that, and Peter's story testifies against that. Um, I love Peter. He's like the paradigm for all of us. He tries so hard and fails so hard, and he's just, he's just uh, such an amazing person. Out of this moment, this catching fish moment for Peter, grew a relationship with Jesus, and Peter grew, and he, he did really wonderful things, and he did really terrible things. He went on to deny Jesus before he died, um, Peter could have just been a tragic character. He just could have decided, like, this is it for me. I, I, can't, I cannot go further in this. Um, he was kind of a hot mess of a human. But I want to read to you some really good news about Peter. So this is from the book of Acts, which is a, a sort of part two. The author of Luke also wrote Acts. And so Luke is, is the story of Jesus, and Acts is the story of Jesus' church. And so we see here Peter, Jesus has ascended, and Peter and John and Jesus' disciples are all um, doing the work of the church. They're starting to minister to people and share the good news of Jesus, and right here they're outside the temple. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. And Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now Peter's catching people. And that's really good news. That's good news for you and for me. Jesus is not done with you. You may feel like you can no longer be this worst version of yourself. And Jesus to that says, you're right. <laughs> I'm still in it. Like, I'm still willing to get in the boat with you. Like, let's just go a little bit farther. His work is not done in you or in me or in this church or in the world. It may feel like maybe it's done or on pause but Jesus is at, is at work in this world, and his people are evidence of that and the work that he's doing. Jesus is not done sanctifying you. He's not done making you into the kind of person who is so compelled by the person of Jesus that then you actually become like him. Because not only are we meant to be the people who experience Jesus in this way, who see him and feel loved and known by him, who get our language spoken to us by him, but we are the ought to be the kinds of people who are then like Jesus, getting into other people's boats and speaking their love language, speaking the truth and the gospel to them about who Jesus is and what life is on offer to them, inviting them to come catch for people. That's what it means to grow into Christ-likeness. And Christ wants it in you. He wants to grow it in you. He wants you to be the kind of person who brings life and not death, who catches people alive, you know, that's the gift to us. And may it be so, Lord. May it be so of your church. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.